The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome, everyone. My name is Shelley Graff. I'm the associate director here at Common Ground and often lead the practice group on the second Wednesday of the month. Sometimes I teach a little bit more when Mark is away doing other Dharma activities. Um, and sometimes it's not always on Wednesday, but consistently on Wednesdays lately. Is there anybody here for the first time? Oh, here. oh yeah, a few people. Great. Will you just say our names if you wouldn't mind? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm Emily. Emily, raise your hand a little higher. So, see Emily. <laughs> Hi, Emily. So, <laughs> and over here. Yeah. Hey, Tony. Welcome. Others? Yeah? I'm Mariah. Mariah. Welcome. I'm Claire. 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 And way in the back. Tyler. Tyler. Hey, Tyler. Is that it? I'm Marianne. Oh, Marianne. Cool. Welcome. It's a lot of new people. It's wonderful. I hope you feel like this is home for you. even on your first time here. (laughs) So it's that time of year, just after the 1st of January, where it's often really natural to start reflecting on the past and sometimes even set some intentions or resolutions for the new year. I like intentions better than resolutions. Resolutions make me feel like it's a goal that I have to attain. Or if I don't, then I'll fail, then I'll feel bad. But intentions kind of have a no-fail mechanism in there, which is nice. You can reset your intentions at any moment. Get up and be like, well, I have the intention to be kind, and then get frustrated with the cat. I'm like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> How about now? Let's try again. I love that about this practice. We can always begin again. In fact, we're invited to begin again as often as we need to. There's this uh, Dharma teacher. His name is Philip Moffat. One of Nancy Bowler's teachers, too. You know, Maybe some others in the room, but Philip said that he came up with a phrase that he likes to offer people at the first of the year. He says, May you cease to be the cause of your own suffering. <laughs> I've been saying that to myself. Sweetie, may you cease to be the cause of your own suffering this year. <laughs> so every December, there's a three-week practice period where folks are invited to sort of increase their formal practice and practice in daily life. Um, to a greater extent than we might normally do, and then come together at Common Ground once a week to talk about how things are going. We call that the December Practice Intensive. It's a really nice way, and everybody kind of gets to do it their own way, Um, decide what more practice is, and um, decide how to integrate practice, and that kind of thing. And then we end the three weeks with a day-long retreat together. And then just a few days after that ends, there's a year-end retreat. And their year-end retreat starts on the 26th 
of December always and ends about noon on the 31st. It's a really nice way to spend the time between the holidays. And so in part, this talk will be informed by what I was learning by doing those the practice intensive and then helping lead the year in retreat this year, the theme of which was impermanence. And also at the, you know, on New Year's Eve, at, in the evening, there's an annual celebration here. It's fun and some sitting meditation, have a nice potluck, and then Gabe Keller Flores sometimes plays some music. He did this year, and often Ellis, who is a wonderful singer-songwriter, she often plays a little set, 20 or 30 minutes. Such a nice, a nice way to spend the time, and this year, um, we were reflecting on this um, quote that many of you have probably heard from Dr. Cornell West. He urged us to, he said, never, let us never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. Right. So we were offering our reflections with each other at the New Year's Eve program. And it really got me to think, like, if justice is what love looks like in public, and my Practice is the force of love. What does my practice look like in public? <clears throat> so there's a lot to say about that, and I think I'll um, offer three tools, maybe, for staying engaged in the world, staying connected to our own hearts and engaged in the world over the course of the next year, but not just the course of the next year, in any moment. And when we really begin to see the truth of impermanence, you know, going back there for a moment, when we begin to see, you know, even in the beginning of a new year, beginning of 2018, there's like a beginning of something and an ending of something. And the more we, we kind of start to take up that practice of noticing beginnings and endings, you know, if we do it with some uh, continuity, if we are consistent with that practice, then we can, it, it, begin to, it begins to seem like there's no end, right, to that contemplation. Like, well, if there's an end to a year, there's an end to a month, there's an end to a week, and a day, and a minute, and a moment, and a breath, right? So we can easily begin to see, well, like, nothing stays around forever. There's always an arising and a passing away. And this is one of the hallmark um, truths in meditation practice, that everything that arises must fall away which includes our lives and our loved ones and our relationships. And it doesn't have to be like a, um, a somber story. Is that the right word? Kind of not exciting? <laughs> like a not fun or exciting story? It can actually be an enlivening, kind of liberating reflection because when we start to see that 
that all of all of these conditions, all of these experiences in our lives come and go, then it sort of begs the question, well, what's left? Right? What what is what do we have to take refuge in? And we can see some truths come to the surface, like the truth of the mind that can know and the heart that can care. That's reliable. We can take refuge in um, what we might call the Buddha, but it just means like the awakened mind, the mind that can, or the heart that can be here in this moment. We can take refuge in some of these truths, like the truth of change, the Dharma, we might call that, the way things are, the truth of the way things are, the mind, the heart that can meet experience moment after moment after moment and know what it's like to be alive. And this refuge, we can take refuge in a community of practitioners who are on a similar path or on a similar journey, right? the Sangha, or the qualities, the reflections of ourselves and each other. But if that starts to feel like, you know, as reflecting on impermanence starts to feel heavy even at times, can start to feel like there's no ground, like where, where do I, where's my security? It might be a little challenging to understand what it means to take refuge in the things I just mentioned. So we need something to balance the heart, right? And especially if we've had some uncertainty in our lives, if we've gone through some great difficulties, like a breakup, even if that's recent, or lost job, or um, poverty, or maybe a history of not having a place to live, or some trauma in our lives, then it can be even more important to balance our heart and mind as we're contemplating some of these deeper truths, right? So we always need love. Love is always a balancing factor. It doesn't matter what our practice is like, it has to, love needs to accompany that. Love needs to compassion, friendliness, benevolence, needs to really accompany the mind so that it can meet this in an open way, right? So connecting, so so connecting to the present moment, this is the first step. This is the first tool. So connecting with the heart that cares, a heart that cares about this, the way things are, about the aliveness that's in this moment. You know, even in that meditation, like connecting is simple. It's like a simple instruction to just be awake, to know what this is like, to feel the body, the tingling in the feet or the hands, the warmth in the stomach, the vibration in the chest, the nervousness in the throat the feelings, emotions that come and go, the thoughts that come and go, 
the worries, the stickiness of the worries that want to hang around a little bit longer, like accepting that too. So connecting with the present moment means being brave, brave enough to look and to notice, to even, and through that connection we develop a kind of intimacy, right, and a willingness to do that again and again. Like intimacy is about connecting and reconnecting, right? So we hear teachers, Mark says all the time, be willing to begin again. That means like when we're doing a seated meditation, like we can really see that we need that willingness to begin again because we'll start off like, okay, land in the body. Well, here comes a memory about something, right? Back to the body, we have to begin again. And here comes a a thought about what I'm going to have for dinner later. Okay, back to the body, begin again. But it also means reconnecting. You know, those are some simple ways to connect to the, to reconnect to the present moment. And it also means like just being willing to be awake again, right? To say yes to whatever this is and allow the intimacy, that connecting and reconnecting again and again to be established in the mind and in the heart. And with intimacy, then we begin to see more clearly those truths that I was talking about. We can see, we can really see their flavor, right? We don't even actually, this is good news, like we don't even have to go looking for wisdom. We don't have to go looking for those truths. They will just show up if we continue to connect and reconnect, establishing intimacy again and again and again. Like with that continued application of very gentle effort, you know, just the effort that it takes to be interested now and now and now and now, eventually wisdom will come along. So we don't have to go searching for a way to be a wise human being. We don't have to do that. We don't even have to put that trip on ourselves. All we have to do is be willing to connect and reconnect here and again and again and again. Well, that's doable, isn't it? Yeah, it's doable. That doesn't sound like such a complicated practice, but it is the art of being alive or being an awake human being. It's the art of mindfulness practice. Just that connecting and reconnecting in every moment. And over time, like I was about to say, (laughs) then wisdom will develop all on its own and we'll begin to see the kind of subtlety of these deeper truths of compassion and equanimity, of emptiness, which we've been talking about uh, for a while now, and compassion. There's this great poet who's become really popular on Instagram. You might know her, Nayira Wahid. Um, she writes these really short, lovely little poems. If you Googled her, um, she has a couple of compilations. One is called Salt. Um, you could find her, and it's worth like a, a moment. It just takes you a minute to read her little poems, and they're just full of wisdom and love. 
She says, you will be lost and unlost over and over again. Relax, love. You were meant to be this glorious epic story. And that's just like it speaks to what it, what it means to practice, to be a practitioner. A practitioner that's willing to connect and reconnect and allow wisdom to develop, to develop all on its own. I was, when I was doing the year-long retreat, or the year-long retreat, that would be something. <laughs> How about the year-end retreat? <laughs> I was doing a little walking practice out in the hallway, and it was before it was my turn to give a little short dharmet, like a 15-minute thing. And, <laughs> and for those of you who know me, like, it's pretty, it's common for me to get nervous or even have moments of panic. You often see me like jumping up and down in the office trying to get the energy to move through the body before I come up here. So I was noticing I'm doing some walking practice and really just connecting with the movement of the body, the steps, the landing, (coughs) the moving, the lifting, the moving, the placing of the steps over and over and over, right? And just like having some faith that that's the path That's the practice, just connecting and reconnecting, helping the mind get stable and used to that kind of rhythm, right? And what I was noticing was like this, like blurb of energy that wanted to rise. It wasn't even a thought yet, but it was this like intention to panic, (laughs) to go off into the story about, oh my God, you have to go up there in front of those people and talk. That's what was just beneath the surface, right? But the practice was strong enough that it was just, it would see it and like, oh, there, then there was a little bit of like inner wisdom that was like, oh, sweetie, don't go there. Don't indulge that thought. It's going to be bad. It's going to really hurt. We've been here before. <laughs> we know how this goes. And so, you know, that would just sort of, not in all those words even, but just the intention would come to mind. It was, and it felt such, it felt like both a strong and loving um, presence and so that just continued on for however long, a few minutes. But it was really a lesson to me that just with the continuity, with the application of effort right now, then like the whole, all of those truths come to mind. They all just are right there. Like I was watching it come and go, impermanence was right in front of me, right? The birth of energy, the cessation of that panicky energy, the birth of compassion and wisdom, the cessation of the compassion and wisdom, with the next birth of the panicky moment. And there was also this like um, natural application of effort. Right? One of the elements of practice is understanding what it means to apply right effort. And we can think about that like, like I have, you know, what's I have to do this. Or maybe I need to back off of doing this. But it could also be just, you know, the mind that knew, the heart that knows what it needs to do, right? So like in that moment, there was, in those moments that, you know, I was walking out there, there was like a real inner wisdom to know, like, be diligent right now. Because if you decide to go off and start thinking about something else or looking all around, then this whole panicky, fear-based moment could come crashing down, right? So there was like, I needed to, not even 
it wasn't like a Shelley that was doing it. It was just this thing that was happening, this natural unfolding of effort. There was a knowing of what the right amount of effort to apply. Like, be careful. Right now, now is the time to be extra careful. And you might have noticed this in your, in your life, too, when you go through some kind of difficulty and there's an emotion that's there and there's kind of an, your inner voice that says, well, treat this really gently or be really careful with this because it might spin out of control and you might say something stupid, right? Or do something stupid. You know, that's, you've been in this place in your life? Yeah, me too, lots of times. Yeah. So wisdom eventually develops. It develops on its own. And we begin to see the truth of the three characteristics of existence. So that anicca is the Pali, it's the old language called Pali. It's the language that was spoken at the time of the Buddha. So these words are, these Pali words are used and then translated. And so the Pali words are anicca, which just means impermanence, anatta, which means nature that's unfolding, that's not personal, it's just a result of something and will give rise to something else, and then dukkha, which means um, sometimes it's translated as stress or suffering, but it really points to how unsatisfactory it is to to cling to sensory experience because it just doesn't really go anywhere. Right? The chocolate cake will be delicious, and if we cling to it, it'll be really sad when it's over. <laughs> so these deeper truths are easy to notice, are easier to notice in their own time when the conditions are ready for them to be noticed. Right? Just like in that small little walking period when it was really obvious, like, oh yeah, this is coming and going, and wow, this doesn't feel personal at all. It doesn't feel like I'm doing anything. This is just momentum, practice happening on its own. And yeah, I can feel the pain of that uh, panic, the suffering that's there of like that about to, that fear that's in the heart. And I wanted to give another like practical example of practice that unfolds and we can see more deeply into um, these truths that it could even happen, you know, in a a relationship. So I see this all the time with my partner, um, like in a single moment of, of getting, of getting angry, it's, Sometimes it's just like Shelly's mad at Stacy or Stacy's mad at Shelly and that's how it feels. But in other moments when there's, you know, when the conditions are right, sometimes it can just feel like anger is arising and it's almost, it's like really interesting. Like, wow, look, this is what it looks like. This is how it feels. Or even for another person, like, wow, it looks like this is what sadness looks like or insecurity looks like or or anger looks like, it looks like this. It's easy to kind of have a heart that cares in those moments because it doesn't feel like there's, that we're the enemy to each other. 
It just is like an expression of nature. The causes came together in the right way to produce this fear, and look at it. It's expressing itself like this in the form of words in this interaction, right? And then it goes away. It's not there anymore, right? Then the words cease, and that moment passes, and then what else is there? It's really hard to demonize like nature, right? It's hard to notice trees and the earth and the wind and the snow and be like, oh, what is the, you know, there's something wrong here. <laughs> no, this is just nature doing what nature does. Like confluence of causes and conditions come together to, so that it starts to snow. And then those conditions aren't there anymore and it stops the snow. We don't get mad that, you know, it's like this. But so then why do we get upset with ourselves and each other when the same thing happens in the form of emotions or other experiences, right? So we could practice just not demonizing those experiences either. Like, wow, anger is here and it looks like this now. Can this be okay? Can I work with this? Can I treat it? Can I honor it so that I don't feed it, nourish it, and use it to cause harm? Right? But the first step is to see, to see it happening, to watch it happening in our hearts, to notice what it looks like in others so that we can take care. And as we incline the mind in the direction of wisdom and daily life over and over and over, this will just naturally happen. We'll naturally begin to see things more clearly. And that can happen in really gross ways, simple ways, like, you know, at the beginning of a new year, to notice, like, yep, last year is gone, it's over, there's no going back, now there's a new year. Or at the time of the solstice and the equinoxes, like the energy shifts. And like now, the days are getting, the days are getting shorter, longer. Longer, longer. right. Just exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's getting lighter, longer, right? Yeah, that's right. That, I know. So just starting off wherever we are, right, if that's where it is, like, let's look at that. Let's notice these obvious ways that things are changing, and it's not personal. Like, the solstice happens every year. It doesn't have anything to do with Shelley. It's not, you know, the, the lighter days aren't to benefit me. It's just happening, so I don't have to take that personally. And then we can see where we go from there. You know, just like that progression that I mentioned earlier. Well, if the, if the years are getting short, or if the years end and begin, then the days end and begin, and the moments end and begin, and the breath ends and begins, then well, what else? Right? So... Another tool, um, another tool is to feel the heart that cares, 
and to let that energy move. What does that mean? Well, if you've known, you know, you all know what it feels like to care. And that when we care, that energy wants to express itself. It naturally wants to express itself. And so we just don't have to get in the way. There's this little card that I have hanging up in my office that says, like a seven-year-old said, like, if you love someone, you're supposed to tell them. It's that simple, right? When you feel, when you love someone, you just say it. And when you say it, notice that that's the, the energy that wants to move. It wants to express itself. Like some of you are smiling right now. That's the expression of something that's moving in your heart. And this is why generosity makes a lot of sense. Because true generosity comes from a place of caring, right? A place of understanding that the flow of things, receiving is a beautiful thing, and giving is a beautiful thing. Receiving, right, and using what's offered contributes to a lot of good, and offering something back for other people to benefit from contributes to a lot of good. So that feels really good. It feels good to give. It feels good to receive when it's really pure, purely generous. And it's generous because it comes from a, a place of, of love or benevolence or friendliness. It's that quality of the heart that cares. I was practicing with Sayada Utejaniya, and this, he's a Burmese monk who I've gotten a lot from reading and listening to. He doesn't really give Dharma talks. He does Q&As, and he doesn't speak English that well, so they're often translated. But this one time, I got a chance to practice with him just for a, for a nine-day retreat. And it wasn't that long ago, but... He's been an important teacher to me, and I was invited to go to this retreat by a couple of my teachers, and I'm a new teacher, so I'm in this teacher training program, and there's just a kind of a lot happening in my personality <laughs> in this moment when I was at the, this retreat. And my teacher was encouraging me to ask a question in the hall, which I so didn't want to do. And he kept encouraging me. And so eventually I was like, okay, I'll do that. And so I asked Syed all this question that I'd been contemplating and still do from time to time about what does engaged practice look like? What does love, what does my practice look like in public? What does um, the movement of love look like? in public in a socially engaged way. I mean, I'm saying that for your benefit. I didn't say it exactly like that for him. But I did ask him about like that activist kind of oriented question because I was curious about what a Buddhist monk would say to that. And I remember that he said, um, Dharma teaching and Dharma practice is a radical act on its own, right? It's just kind of a radical way of training and cultivating and purifying the mind, purifying the heart, so that our actions come from a really loving, 
and kind place so that we see things clearly and can be fully awake and not make so many mistakes in our life, right? That's what he was saying. But what I remember the most, I don't remember his full answer, I remember that, but what I remember the most about that moment, and there have been lots of moments like this in my life, it's the, it was the quality of his attention, which was so kind. He's a kind of a funny guy, and he kind of sits back, and he'll like, you know, be thinking and talking, and then he'll kind of look down from time to time, you know, laugh, and tell a story or something. He's just kind of relaxed, that, he's really relaxed that way, unlike most monks. Um, but this time when he was talking to me, he kind of leaned, he like, you know, so he went up to here, and he looked right at me. Um, and he said what he did, and then he just like nodded to me. And it was so, like, I felt really held in that moment. Like he, I don't know what he saw about that, like my nervousness, or just a caring, like somebody, like I needed that, and it was a gift to me. <clears throat> So it was a it was a teacher that, you know, the expression of love or the movement of love or kindness can happen in very simple ways. And it doesn't have to mean that what we do with our practice or our life have to be something extraordinary in every moment. There's a place for that, for doing something radically different than we normally would do. But there's also a place for just engaging in these simple meaningful, uncomplicated ways in the relationships we have with our friends and our family and our communities at our workplaces. And if we all did that, it would make a big difference, wouldn't it? Like if we all tapped into the heart that cares and didn't stop it from expressing itself in a really simple and easy way, moment to moment with the people we love, that would have an effect on the world. There are plenty of stories I could tell about how I've messed up. But I want to tell this short story about, you know, this kind of simple engagement that made a difference. It made a difference for me when I was at that retreat, but in a balancing that story with one of um, an example in daily life. I work in schools part-time, and um, one day I walked in, I often work at schools where almost exclusively where there are a lot of kids that are living very complicated, them and their families living very complicated lives without much, most living out or below poverty. Um, Things are messy and hard in a lot of ways. And so I came, and I had been working with this one mom um, for quite a while, and I really could see the good in her and her her good intentions for raising her child in a in the way that she was, you know, trying to instill some really positive values in them. And her child was having a really hard time in school. And so I walk in, and I was walking down the hallway, and I see these, this group of people, teachers and staff, kind of right outside my office door, four or five of them, and they were talking, and I heard this parent's name and this, the student's name. It was before school. Nobody else was there. It was quite early. And so I walk in, and I walk up to them, and um, as I turned the corner to go into my office, one of them said something to me trying to pull me into the conversation, like, like they were frustrated with the mom. And I don't think they were saying terribly mean things about her, but they were definitely frustrated with her. And um, I don't, you know, I think really 
their frustration seemed to come from a place of just not knowing what to do with the student that they really cared about. But, you know, in this moment, like, I didn't know what to do, and so I kind of just turned the corner and went into my office, and then as I did that, they said my name and tried to pull me into the conversation for some validation of what they were thinking. And in a moment of uncertainty, like, all I did was simply say, that wasn't, that hasn't been my experience with her. And it didn't solve the problem, right? It didn't, like, eradicate racism or poverty or solve all the social problems. But I certainly felt good for standing up for myself, right, for expressing a truth that was in my heart and for not just ignoring the situation and doing nothing about it, which would have made me feel worse, right? So it was, a, it was just another example of a very simple way to allow the goodness of the heart to express itself in a moment, that it doesn't have to be something extraordinary or big. But to tune, and we do this all the time, right? So these are just a couple of stories that I have thought about and remembered so that I could use them to illustrate this point. But you could probably look at, you know, take any day and notice all of the ways that your heart, the movement of love in your heart expresses itself. And just reflect on that and allow that to feel good to you. That's something. Nayir Washid Wahid said, you do, you do not have to be a fire for every mountain blocking you. You could be a water and soft river your way to freedom too. So noticing goodness, which keeps the heart in balance. Practicing the Brahma Viharas, the, um, the practices of loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, or equanimity, is a really nice way to keep the heart in balance, right? We practiced compassion today together, and we ended with a little appreciative joy practice just to um, help the heart to support the heart so that it can hold the truth of this moment, right? So that it can really have a um, foundation of which the truth of impermanence and suffering can really land. The impersonal nature of experience. It's hard sometimes to meet. We can see this in our own lives too, like when we are going through our lives and we get hit with a bunch of difficult experiences all at once. One of them might be easy to meet, but after three or four in a row, the heart kind of feels overwhelmed by it, right? So sometimes we don't have any control over that and we just have to do the best that we can do. But when we do have some say, then we can practice cultivating um, these qualities of love and compassion and appreciative joy and stable, a stable heart to equanimity so that we have a fighting chance of meeting difficulty as often as we need to in the future. And another quote 
from the awesome poet. <coughs> there have been so many times I have seen a man wanting to weep, but instead beat his heart until it was unconscious. <sighs> and then she said, stay soft. It looks beautiful on you. <laughs> Love it, right? It just speaks to balance, how important it is to have balance. <coughs> So, these Brahma Viharas or the um, practices that I just mentioned are really, can be really cultivated as attitudes of mind. Warm and tender attitudes towards self and others. But we should look out, because as soon as we bring them to mind, our mind will sort of be combative with us, and what might show up is everything but that, right? (laughs) So it's a practice of beginning again, cultivating that ground. You might have noticed in the compassion practice that it wasn't probably easy all the way through, right? Because the heart can go into despair at times. That's a possibility. It can shut down at times when it feels like too much. But it's the same practice of connecting and beginning again, connecting again and again and again, and developing some intimacy over time. So I thought I would end by um, reading something for you. Tony Bernhard is a Dharma teacher. He took some of the words of the Buddha and he put them into, he phrased them in, uh, as resolutions, as New Year's resolutions. So he took the words of the B- Buddha and he rearranged them a little bit, put them in the first person, and called them resolutions. So there are like seven of them. What's your name? Tony Bernhard is his name. Yep. So then at the end, I'll invite us to think about what our intentions are for the year, too. So you can just get still in your seat and just receive these words. I'll ring the bell between each one when I read them. The Buddha's resolutions. I will not believe in anything simply because I've heard it and it is rumored by many. I will not believe in anything simply on the authority of my teachers and elders. But after observation and analysis, when I know for myself that something, if undertaken and practiced, will lead to the welfare and happiness of one and all, I will accept it and live up to it. Number two. Before speaking, I will reflect on whether what I'm about to say is true, kind, and helpful. It's often easy to meet two of the criteria, but not all three. For example, it might be true that a friend hasn't been in touch for a month, but would it be helpful to confront the friend about it? Before sending a why haven't you been in touch email, if we replace that with the intention, if we replace the intention to confront with the intention to inquire, How are you doing? And see how that works.
Number three, hatred never ceases through hatred. Hatred ceases through non-hatred. This is an ancient truth. I will not engage in hatred. Number four, whatever I keep pursuing with my thinking and pondering becomes the inclination of my awareness. So I will watch my thoughts and their ways with care. Number five, I will not consider the faults of others or what they have or have not done. Rather, I will consider what I myself have done or have not done. Number six, as a solid rock is not moved by the wind, I will not be moved by praise or blame. And the last one, number seven, I will develop and cultivate my mind just as just as of all trees, the balsam is the most soft and pliant. In the same way, I don't envision a single thing that when developed and cultivated is as soft and pliant as the mind. So let's just take a moment to reflect on the tender areas of our not life that might need our loving awareness. See if we can bring into mind an intention for the year. Thank you. So you've heard me talk long enough. We have about six or seven minutes left if anybody wanted to share anything that came to mind through the meditation or the talk. Yeah, my name's Rob. And um, on Christmas Eve, my brother, one of my brothers throws a Christmas Eve party and this year there were about 40 people in his modest size house and about a quarter of them were children under the age of 10. Um, to add on top of that, one of the kids or one of the groups of, of kids got a karaoke machine as the... <laughs> so, you know, we can all imagine the din that was a present. Most of the adults were, you know, pretty panicked and, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I remember sitting at one of the multiple tables and thinking to myself, 
this is equanimity. I can be here in this chaos and not engage in the chaos. Mm. Uh, it reminded me of the two fish and they're looking at a hook and one of them says it's a really big hook and the other one says don't bite it. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, um, and i absolutely certain that it's the practice that brought that peace into my heart because in the past, not only would I have been going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I would have been getting drunk, drunk, drunk. Thank you. <laughs> Relying on different coping skills now. Yeah, nice example. Thank you. Mary. I Wait till the mic, yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Um, er, my name is Mary. Um, earlier on in your talk, um, you said something about, you know, it doesn't really seem like being in the present moment is like anything that exciting. And, um, and did I get that right? I'm not sure I said that, but. Well, not those exact words, like but it sounded like that to me. That's what I heard. Sorry. Okay. But, um, in one of Mark's talks a while ago, um, he said, you know, there is no future there, and there is no past. So what we're standing on is this like really thin edge. Like you're just standing on a moment and then that moment falls away and then there's another one. And, and when you think about it, and it, this I recall him saying is it's really kind of exciting because you're like always on the edge. And, um, it, it is actually really kind of exciting if you think about it, because you're just standing on this precipice at any given moment, because each moment is all there is. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just really liked that analogy that he used. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's really true. Like, that's the liberating, that's why these teachings are liberative, right? It's because if you thought this was the only moment you'd have, you would make the best of it, wouldn't you? Right? You would really show up. You would be alive for it. So it is exciting. And the other side of that is like what I was trying to point to earlier is that it can also feel uh, overwhelming, right? That there's, there's no ground. And especially if uh, we've had difficult experiences in our life. So Yes, touching the truth of that to the depth that it is possible in our hearts by connecting over and over and over, again and again and again, developing intimacy with the moment, letting the moment last, right? That's that's leads to liberation. And balancing that with preparing the ground for that opening later by cultivating the heart that can care, right? It's what we've been talking about for a few months now, the that we need to, the mind, the heart needs to have a balanced, have balanced attitudes of care, ability to care and ability to know, like connect with the way things are, but with the heart that can really care about that. Yeah. Thank you. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.